Hi, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us today. You know, with the election just a few weeks away, we want to take some time each week to to stop, to pray, and to surrender our hearts to God uh, together. I, I hope you plan to vote. Uh, But I know that with a decision like that, that uh, there's some confusion and and maybe some struggles from time to time in order or uh, just figuring out how to do just that. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then verse 6 continues by saying, But let him ask ask in faith. And what a great reminder for us as we approach this election, especially if you are unable or unsure how to vote right now. I mean, to hear God say, if you lack wisdom, ask me, because I give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. Like, what a promise for us, that, that no matter what we go through, that God promises to give us wisdom when we need it. And so keep those words in mind, you know, as you navigate life, as you figure out some of your current circumstances, and as you pray about your vote and this upcoming election. In fact, let's pray together right now. God, we come to you, uh, and based on your word to us in James 1.5, uh, you, you promise to give us wisdom when we ask. And right now we're asking in faith, not doubting, we're believing uh, that you will give us the discernment that we need for how to vote in the election uh, that we're walking through as followers of Jesus in in the United States. And Lord, I pray for every person who's listening, uh, who's walking through different challenges and different circumstances where they need wisdom right now and aren't sure what to do. God, will you give it and give it generously? God, we ask for wisdom in our lives. We ask for wisdom in our voting. We also pray for our political leaders now and in the future uh, to seek you for wisdom. God, please deliver us from the foolishness in our lives. Deliver us from, from the foolishness that we see so much in our world right now. And as you do that, Lord, raise up leaders who know that left to themselves are unwise, but when they seek you, they find wisdom. God, we pray for that and pray for that in our lives and in the leaders around us, leaders in our homes, leaders in our community, leaders in our churches. And we pray for this, uh, for the leaders in our country, uh, that they will seek your wisdom and for the wisdom we need. And we praise you. We praise you for your goodness and your generosity to give it to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how many of you have ever heard the name Wendy Palmer. At five foot five and 135 pounds, some would say that she is one of the strongest humans in the world with the ability to take down men twice her size. What's her source of strength, you might ask? Well, Wendy has devoted her life to a form of martial arts known as Aikido. And unlike other martial arts, Aikido is focused on learning how to absorb kicks and punches instead of giving them. Many say it's one of the hardest martial arts to learn as it involves teaching the body and the mind to do something that really is pretty unnatural, and that is to relax when you feel threatened, to maintain control without feeling the need to counterattack. Boxing is opposite. 
Uh, Boxing is meeting punch with punch. Aikido, on the other hand, is focused on frustrating the violence of your attacker by absorbing and also transforming their aggressive energy to work against them, eventually leaving them exhausted and defeated. Today, I want to talk to you about forgiveness, which, believe it or not, has a lot in common with Aikido when it comes to transforming negative experiences that others bring upon us. I mean, think about it. What's your first reaction when someone hurts you or your first reaction when someone hurts someone you love? You want to fight back, right? I mean, uh, if if your brother hits you, you you want to hit them back. Uh, If someone says something negative about you, you come back strong. If someone hurts you, well, we want to make them pay. I mean, the truth is that when someone attacks us, our natural instinct is to retaliate or to fight back. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is a lot like Aikido, that instead of of fighting back, you choose instead to redirect that hurt into something else, uh, something that has the possibility of helping you and helping the other person experience peace instead of allowing hatred and bitterness to win. Uh, For the last few weeks, we've been learning what it means to live as peacemakers in this world. And the idea for the series comes right from the mouth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And here's the good news, that when we practice and, and extend forgiveness, we're learning to live the way that Jesus wants us to live as peacemakers, as followers here in this world. And a few weeks ago, we defined a peacemaker as someone who brings God's idea of peace with them everywhere they go and in everything they do. And last week, we looked at the life of Noah to see how peacemakers are obedient to God even when it's unpopular. Today, we're going to look at the life of a man named Joseph. And even though he experienced hurt and and loss really in unimaginable ways, Joseph found the strength to forgive and his willingness to forgive not only helped him, but it also enabled his family and others to experience peace in their lives too. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you today or access to one, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 41, the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 41. And and the story of Joseph takes up a lot of real estate there, beginning in Genesis 37 and continuing the rest of the way through the end of the book of Genesis. And and don't confuse this Joseph uh, with the father of Jesus. This is Old Testament Joseph. This is uh, Joseph in the technicolor dream coat, depending on your age. Uh, Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons born to a man named Jacob. And and one of the unique things about Joseph is that he was his dad's favorite and everyone in the family knew it. Well, as you might guess, this added a lot of tension and a lot of jealousy amongst his brothers. And it got so bad in their family that one day Joseph's brothers beat him up and sold him into slavery to the Egyptians. And so put yourself in in the life of the shoes of Joseph for just a moment. I mean, can you imagine trying to overcome pain and evil like that? I mean, your story might not be that extreme, but some of you have experienced some incredible pain and hurt in your life too. Uh, Maybe at the hands of a parent who mistreated you, or there was a relative who abused you. Uh, Maybe you've got a friend or an acquaintance, uh, a neighbor, uh, a coworker, somebody that took advantage of you, or, or someone took something really important to you. We've all got pain. 
uh, some greater than others in our past. And the funny about, thing about pain is that you think it's gone and then one day it shows up at your door or one day it shows up in your inbox again. And it doesn't matter if it happened recently or if it happened a long time ago, like it still hurts. I promise you, what, whatever your pain is, Joseph can relate. And fast forward, if you would, a little in his story. Uh, Joseph is forced into a new life as a slave in Egypt, but he makes the most of it and eventually works his way up the ladder and becomes the right-hand man for his master. Well, it's not going to last long, and uh, one day he's accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he's thrown into prison, and not just for a short time, but for something like 13 years. Well, time passes, and through a series of unique events, Joseph ends up finding favor with the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. And here's what we read about Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 41. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now, that's not a bad promotion, is it? I mean, yesterday, Joseph was rotting in a jail cell, but now he's living in the palace. The, the Pharaoh puts him in charge of just about everything in Egypt, including, if you saw there, the distribution of food for everyone in the kingdom. And that may not sound significant, but it's an important detail in Joseph's story. But Why? Well, God previously spoke to Joseph and told him that there was going to be a famine in this part of the world. And so as a result, Joseph des dedicated a majority of his time and his energy into preparing the people of Egypt for this famine. And so for seven years, they stored up resources. And when those seven years came to an end and the famine began, just as the Lord had predicted, and here's where Joseph's story gets really interesting. I mean, the famine was so severe that people outside of Egypt came to Joseph seeking help in order to survive people like, you guessed it, Joseph's brothers. I mean, it's the same guys who beat him up and sold him into slavery. I mean, I've been to some awkward family gatherings before, but nothing like this. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 42 over in verse 6. We read, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, and here's where it's going to get really interesting, they didn't recognize him. All right, and so they don't recognize their brother. They think he's long gone, but Joseph recognizes them, and you know Joseph's got to be thinking, well, 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 how the tables have turned. I once heard a joke, tell me if you've heard it before, about an old guy who was trying to back his Cadillac into a parking space in a really busy parking lot. And before he could put his car into reverse, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, this young guy comes flying in in his tiny little sports car and just steals that place. The old man was livid. He was upset. And the young guy could see it as he got out of his car and he turned and he looked at the old man and he says, hey, old man, that's what you can do when you're young and when you're fast. 
Well, without even thinking about it, the old man put his car into reverse, and wouldn't you know it, he just started backing that Cadillac into the sports car over and over again until he turned that car into an accordion. The young guy couldn't believe it, and he's screaming at the man saying, what in the world are you doing? And to that, the old man replied, well, young fella, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. You know, we've all been hurt. And we've all faced moments like Joseph when we've had the opportunity to get back or to get even. And it doesn't mean we're going to get even with someone else's car, but we might get back with our words or certainly with our sarcasm. Uh, one of the ways that we like to get back at others is we'll, we'll recruit others and, and get them to, to join our team, to turn their back on you. Or we'll try and humiliate someone with a, a really cutting post on social media. Uh, think about how easy it is to, to withhold love or, or to give someone the cold shoulder, or better yet, you just write someone off forever. And if not a challenge for you, I, I know we see it in play every day. I mean, isn't it so true? I mean, with the people around us at school or at work and certainly in the political scene right now, I mean, there's just all of this back and forth and so many facets of life right now. I mean, you hit me and I'm going to come back hard against you. And so Joseph has the upper hand here. He's got this opportunity to really get even and, and to take the lead, if you would. And so what in the world is he going to do? Well, right or wrong, Joseph is going to test his brothers a little to kind of see what's going on in their heart. And, and there are a number of details that I'm skimming over in this story, so I hope you just bear with me. But first, Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. And, and with that, the brothers are going to explain how they're really 10 of 12 brothers. And the reason they're 10 is because one brother stayed home with their dad in Canaan, and the other, well, they sort of sold him into slavery, so he's not around anymore. And you'd think this would kind of be the perfect time for Joseph to reveal his identity, but he doesn't. And so instead of breaking the news to them, he puts them in jail. Well, three day goes by and he finally lets them out. And from there, Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, hey, I want you to travel back to Canaan and get your youngest brother and then come back to me. But to be sure that you come back, one of your brothers has to stay behind as collateral. Well, at this point, the brothers huddle up to sort of discuss what to do next. I mean, remember, they don't know this is their brother, Joseph. All they know is they've got family at home that are on the verge of starving, but they're also in a bit of a bind here. And so the scriptures say the brothers huddle up and they begin to conspire with one another in their negative language. Well, little do they know that their brother Joseph is listening. And of course, he understands every word. And how does he respond? Well, these words say it all. Genesis 42, verse 24. It says, Joseph, he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. And don't overlook the details here. Try and imagine this if you would. I mean, Joseph just breaks. He can't, he can't bear the pain anymore. And you know, we, we don't know all of the pain and hurt that he's gone through, all, all that he's experienced these past 20 years and how he's dealt with the hurt and, and the lost and so many things that he's never going to get back. But in this moment, all of the pain comes rushing back at him and he's got an important choice to make. And that is to either seek revenge or to forgive. I mean, if you would, he, he can punch back and, and punch back hard and take them out for good. Or he could absorb the previous hit and redirect the pain by choosing the way of peace and forgive them. 
And friends, he, he had every right to punish them for what they'd done. Again, so many years lost, so many things that Joseph is never gonna get back. Add to it, we don't even know if his brothers were sorry for what they had done. But what it came down to was revenge or forgiveness. Revenge means to, to even the score, maybe take the lead. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. It means to cancel the debt. It's deciding that you're not gonna hold the pain or you're not gonna hold the hurt against someone anymore. Uh, forgiveness is, is choosing to say, hey, I know you hurt me, but I'm not gonna hold you accountable for something you are unable to undo. And that's where Joseph is. And that's the choice that he was faced with. He had all of the power, so many options. What's he going to do? Genesis 45, pick it up in verse four. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, sold into slavery in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And even after all the pain his brothers had caused him, even after all the lost years of separation from his family, even after all the years of prison and, and servitude, what we find and discover here is that Joseph forgave his brothers and in doing so, he redirected the pain of his past in order to make peace for the future. And you know what? For those of us who say we really wanna follow Jesus, there's an important lesson to take note of if we really wanna be peacemakers in this world and it's this, peacemakers extend forgiveness even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. Because when we choose to forgive, no matter how great or how small the offense, what we're doing is we're, we're choosing to redirect that pain, if you would, pain that has the potential to take root in our lives and to result in things like bitterness and, and resentment and revenge. And with the help of God, we forgive and we take a chance at redirecting that pain into something that can become very good. Peace in our lives, uh, peace in the, in the life of, of someone who have hurt or offended you, and at the same time, peace for others to see and experience too. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, what if they aren't sorry, all right? Like, does that, does that change anything? Well, interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus shares a, a prayer with us, provides a, a model for us for how we should pray. And, and we're gonna look at this prayer together uh, starting in a couple of weeks as a church family, spend some time here with it. But there's a, an interesting uh, set of verses in the midst of this prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus reminds us, he says, and when you pray, when you pray to God, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, uh, we do that because we have also 
been forgiven, all right? We, we forgive, all right, because we've been forgiven. Jesus prayed, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we get this added note here where Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, that shouldn't cause you in any way to think, well, wow, I haven't, I haven't forgiven somebody, so does that really mean that I'm not forgiven, that I'm not saved from my sins? Well, you know, what Jesus is trying to show us here, what he's trying to communicate to us here is that when we really understand the forgiveness of God, when we have experienced that forgiveness of God in our own lives and begin to understand the magnitude of that forgiveness, we can't help but forgive. Like we can't help but forgive other people as a result of the forgiveness that we've experienced. And so we forgive because we've been forgiven. I, I've heard, heard someone say, you know, forgiveness is required. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are required to forgive. But here's the thing, don't confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Like reconciliation is something to be hoped for. It's something to, to be pursued and to pursue it prayerfully, carefully, and over time. But, but the fact is that sometimes reconciliation isn't possible. Uh, sometimes reconciliation isn't appropriate or it's not safe. And, and if they're not sorry, well, we may not reconcile with them, but we can still forgive them. And forgiving someone doesn't mean that you excuse their sin or their previous actions aren't going to carry consequences. I mean, there are people who hurt us. There are, are people who hurt others and are going to have to live with the consequences of those actions and choices forever. But again, it doesn't mean we can't forgive. And Joseph, again, he had every right to retaliate and, and seek revenge, but he didn't. And even with all the power, he chose to forgive, and in doing so, he modeled a better way to live. Friends, if you've experienced it, if you've seen it before, you know that forgiveness is a powerful force. It's the centerpiece of the Christian faith when you think about it. And when we as Christians choose the way of the peacemaker and forgive, we, like Joseph, what we do is we put the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ on full display for others to see. And if you're wondering, if you're asking yourself, well, what's the gospel? Well, it just simply means the good news. And the good news is just this, that Jesus Christ, he died for my sin and he died for yours. And I don't deserve that and you don't deserve that. But the only man who ever lived a perfect life, he paid the price for sin, uh, for your sin and for my sin by giving his life on the cross. And he paid a debt that none of us could ever pay. And it's by his death and it's by his resurrection that forgiveness is made available to each of us. I love what Ed Stetzer says about the power of forgiveness and, and, and what happens and what can happen when we forgive others. He says, you know, the beauty of the gospel, of the good news is that we have the opportunity to continue to reflect God's very nature of forgiveness, healing, and reconciliation through a heart and mind committed to forgiveness and understanding that we live in a fallen world. You see, because we're forgiven, we forgive. We're, we are moved. It, it, God moves in us to forgive. And peacemakers forgive even when it's hard and even if someone else doesn't deserve it and even when it doesn't make sense. In May 2011, um, Nadav Ben Yehuda, uh, this gentleman on the left here, was on top of the world, almost, 
Uh, at 24 years of age, this lost dude, Nadav, was only 300 meters from ascending the world's highest peak, Mount Everest. And reaching the top would have made him the youngest Israeli to summit the tallest mountain in the world. Um, Moments before making his final push, though, to the top of Mount Everest, Nadav looked down in the snow, and there at his feet was a man collapsed, half frozen, no gloves, no oxygen. The man was close to death, but he was still breathing. Well, Nadav, like every experienced climber, knew instantly that 26,000 feet uh, is within what is referred to as the death zone. It's the place where oxygen is so thin that even the best, healthiest, strongest climbers confront the potential of death. And so other climbers were streaming past this unconscious man laying in the snow for their moment of, of achieving history, but Nadav, he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave his friend. Someone he had met just a couple of days before. And knowing that both of their lives were at risk, Nadav quickly got to work. He, he got down into the snow and he picked up to the man and he, and he attached the man to his, his harness and he turned around and he began, get this, the nine-hour descent down the mountain to the nearest base. Nadav later recalled how hard it was. He said, you know, he was incredibly heavy to carry. At times he gained consciousness, screaming in pain, only to faint you know, because the pain was so great once again. Well, because of this rescue attempt, Nadav himself, he suffered frostbite in four of his fingers as well as his toes. Uh, he lost permanent sensation in his left hand, all for the sake of rescuing a new friend. The unconscious man was a man by the name of, of Aiden, seen here, a Turkish climber. And the irony of their story can't be overlooked that Israel and Turkey have long been nations with relations harsher than Mount Everest, as one writer said. And Nadav's act not only saved Aiden's life, but it also for a moment bridged a sizable gap between two countries. You know, later when asked why he forfeited his chance at conquering Everest, Nadav, Nadav answered, you know, just a couple of days before Aiden and I were able to sit down and share a meal together. And he acknowledged that it was awkward at first as they both recognized the struggle between their countries and really between their religions. But the meal provided them an opportunity to talk and to share. And as they recognized, they may not have changed their countries, but a new friendship was established. Can I just ask you, is there someone in your life that you have failed or put off forgiving? Who might be the Aiden in your life right now? Our world needs peacemakers. Our world needs to see and experience the power of forgiveness and the results really that can emerge from it. More than anything, our world right now, each of us, we need someone else. We need Jesus Christ. And what Nadav did for Aiden, really when you think about it, is what Jesus did for each of us. Because like Nadav, Jesus Christ, he climbed a mountain on our behalf. And in doing so, he took on all of my sins and all of yours. And, and he did more than risk his life. He actually gave his life on the cross. And in doing so, made forgiveness possible to receive but also possible to extend and to forgive. Imagine this. Can you imagine a world where forgiven peacemakers, 
followers of Jesus, practice forgiving on a regular basis, what power could be released from that? How might regular acts of forgiveness get the world's attention, change someone else's life, and maybe yours too? Is there someone you need to forgive? Would you pray with me? As you bow your head today, I just I want to ask you again if there's someone right now that you might feel drawn to extend forgiveness to. And you know the story and you know the circumstances better than anyone else. But is there somebody that the Lord might be putting on your heart today that you need to extend forgiveness to? And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But with the Lord's help and by his power working in you and through you, he can make it possible as he did for Joseph, as he's done for so many others. You know, maybe you recognize today that you need to seek forgiveness from someone. Uh, That like Joseph's brothers, you've been the offender. Uh, You've hurt someone, maybe somebody close to you, maybe not someone that's not as close to you or certainly not close to you anymore. But maybe today the Lord's convicting you in your own spirit that there's somebody that you need to seek to forgive. And what could God do from that and through that as you seek the forgiveness of someone else? or to help bring forgiveness to others around you. Maybe there's some work that God's calling you to as a peacemaker in your own family or in your own workplace and in your own connection group right now or amongst some friends. Maybe he wants to use you in a powerful way to help bring peace, to help bring forgiveness to others. And most importantly, uh, maybe you need to seek the forgiveness of the Lord to turn to him today and to ask for his forgiveness for your sins and in your life so that you might experience life through him. Let me pray for us today. God, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts today to help us do whatever we need to do next. Um, I pray for those that might need to seek or to extend forgiveness, that you would give them the strength to do that, that you would give them wisdom for how to do that. Uh, Maybe there's somebody listening today that needs to seek forgiveness from somebody that they've hurt or someone that they've offended and to trust you, to trust you no matter what the results might be, that just by simply being obedient, that you can work even in that moment, that you can work in someone's life. Or help us, Lord, as peacemakers to bring forgiveness and reconciliation amongst a group of others that might be around us, that that maybe there's tension there or, or people that aren't getting along right now. But also, God, for that person today who has never turned to you and put their faith and trust in you before, never experienced your forgiveness in their life. God, that they would experience that today, that they would reach out to you and experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your work on the cross for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.